Hello, and welcome to another podcast from Rheumatology Consultant. Today, we're inaugurating a podcast series on the subject of lupus nephritis, a serious complication of systemic lupus erythematosus. To inaugurate this podcast series, Dr. Neil Birnbaum of California Pacific Medical Center is going to give us an overview of this disease and the challenges of treating patients with lupus nephritis. I'm Dr. Neil Birnbaum. I'm the Chief of the Division of Rheumatology at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco and Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Birnbaum. We're going to be talking about lupus nephritis, which is not common, but probably not as rare as some people might think. How common is lupus nephritis among patients with SLE? Well, it's, it's variable. Uh, I think depending on which reference you read, uh, I saw numbers of 30%. I've seen numbers of 60% have some degree of kidney involvement uh, in their lupus uh, somewhere in the course of the disease. Uh, sometimes it's very mild and only picked up by biopsy and not requiring other uh, treatment, but uh, at times it can be uh, very progressive and leading to uh, kidney failure and the need for dialysis or transplantation. Are there specific factors that cause some patients with lupus to be at higher risk for developing lupus nephritis, whether it's age, gender, weight, other comorbidities? Not as much is known about that as we might like. Uh, I think that we do know that um, some patients are more likely to have worse lupus, and worse lupus would then include more risk of renal disease. Uh, Younger patients, uh, people of color, would probably be the the two groups that that would be the higher uh, risk. Uh, There's a a lupus of, of the elderly in which the risk of kidney disease is quite small. If we see patients who early on have uh, markedly abnormal serologies, their anti-double-stranded DNA is very high, their complement values are very low, they're at greater risk. It seems then unlikely that there's much that either the rheumatologist or the patient can do to control for risk factors for developing lupus nephritis. I think that's reasonably safe to say. I certainly... Uh, people should be monitored, uh, particularly for their blood pressure, uh, because uh, blood pressure has an interrelationship with, with kidneys, and kidney disease makes blood pressure worse and vice versa. We would certainly advise all the usual admonitions about not smoking, although I can't tell you there's a direct relationship. I think people should try to maintain a reasonable weight and to get some exercise. Uh, more importantly is that patients should be monitored once they are diagnosed with lupus, they should periodically have at least a urinalysis done uh, and they should be warned what to look for, some signs that they might be developing lupus nephritis, such as unintended weight gain or puffy ankles or uh, foamy urine when they look in the toilet. That was actually going to be my next question is what should the patient and the rheumatologist look for once the patient is known to have lupus? What kind of signals or signs might you see that that are indications that they could be at risk for developing lupus nephritis? So those are certainly some key factors there. Is there anything else that you could add to that? Well, just to comment that patients who develop nephritis as part of their lupus 
usually develop it fairly early in the course. So it, the need to monitor it is more frequent um, at the, in the first years. If someone gets through five years of lupus and they've never gotten kidney disease, uh, there's a pretty good chance that they won't. What advice would you give your fellow rheumatologists in regard to the treatment of lupus nephritis? Is this in fact the type of disease that really does require a multidisciplinary approach? Well, I think frequently it, it, it does, and it depends who your colleagues in nephrology are and how, how comfortable you are working with them and, or how much lupus nephritis you see on, their, on your own. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to practice at a place that has an excellent nephrology group, and uh, s- several of them have worked with our group for many, many years, so we're, we're very comfortable exchanging patients. I think today the admonitions uh, from the nephrology groups from the American College of Rheumatology are really to biopsy earlier. And in that situation, we normally get a nephrologist involved. Years ago, the nephrologist did the biopsies. Nowadays, most of them are done by the interventional radiologist, but it's still nice to have a nephrologist on, on board to discuss these people with, because overall management is, is not always that simple. When is the biopsy called for? What's the indication that now it's time to biopsy this patient to take this next step? The move is towards earlier biopsy because you want that information, particularly with the uh, newer classification of of, uh, lupus nephritis that came out in in around 2003. And with the idea that people who have class one or class two probably don't need much aggressive management, but people who have class three, four, and five certainly do. And class six, which is advanced scarring, shouldn't be aggressively treated because you can't really change a scar. And I would say of the patients that I have shared with our local nephrologists over the last decade or so, the ones who have gone on to often very slowly progressive renal failure were the individuals with long-standing lupus who on biopsy did not have active inflammation, but had uh, scarring. And in that situation, it's very important to maintain the blood pressure uh, in the normal range and monitor them. And eventually some of those patients have come to dialysis and transplantation. So transplantation is an option for patients with lupus nephritis. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, when patients with lupus do come to either dialysis or transplantation, frequently the rest of their lupus feels better. For the transplanted patients, many of the drugs that are used are very similar to the drugs that we use. So mycophenolate, for instance, was originally used in transplantation and came into lupus later. When do you know it's time to do a biopsy on a patient with lupus? to determine if they really are developing lupus nephritis? When there's some indication either by symptoms or by laboratory abnormalities, has the patient suddenly gained a bunch of weight and have swollen ankles? Do they tell you they look in the toilet bowl and it's, uh, after they urinate and it's all foamy? Uh, laboratory studies showing a decreased serum albumin or increased protein in the urine or a rising serum B1 and creatinine, or worsening of the serologies, uh, a markedly elevated anti-double-stranded DNA antibody, and hypocomplementemia. 
any of those could be grounds to do a biopsy. How often would a rheumatologist be advised to do these serologies and to look for these biomarkers as they're working with a patient who's got lupus? It's very individualized. I think you have to get to know the patient. And early on, we'll probably do them more frequently, maybe quarterly. Uh, If the patient's had lupus for several years and they're doing well, it might be every six months, might be yearly. It all depends on how the patient's doing. And as I mentioned earlier, lupus often strikes a course. And whatever course it took in the first year, very often it sticks to that course in subsequent years. What treatments are available now for lupus nephritis? Well, I think there are a couple of baseline parameters. One is to be sure that their blood pressure is well-controlled. And the second is virtually everybody with lupus should be on hydroxychloroquine, Plaquenil, for chronic maintenance. At that point, what you add to it becomes individualized. If they have class one or two lupus nephritis by biopsy, they may simply be observed. Uh, They may add a little prednisone, but often that patient does not need aggressive immunosuppressant therapy. The patients with class five membranous disease often are treated with fairly high dose steroid, but for a relatively short period of time. It's really the class three, four patients who have uh, either focal or diffuse lupus nephritis, what they call proliferative nephritis, who tend to be treated with aggressive chemotherapy, uh, higher dose steroids, and then the addition of steroid sparing agents, anything from uh, cyclophosphamide, azathioprine, uh, mycophenolate. I would say of those agents, the mycophenolate, uh, Celsept or Myfortic, uh, has become more and more popular over the last decade as the chemotherapeutic agent or immunosuppressive agent of choice. For patients who have not responded to that regimen, now we have the recent addition of two FDA-approved products, one bulimumab, Benlista, and the other one, lipkinase, which is the calcineurin inhibitor. Uh, Those are generally used as an add-on to patients who are failing uh, steroids and immunosuppressants. Any last words for your colleagues in rheumatology about the challenges of working with patients who have lupus nephritis? They're very challenging patients. They the, can be the most difficult patients that we deal with because the disease is so heterogeneous. Uh, I think that it's entirely reasonable to see patients with nephritis in consultation with a nephrologist and to act jointly in deciding what the best course of therapy is for an individual patient. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today for this podcast and look for more podcasts on lupus nephritis coming soon.